Good to be in church tonight, amen? How many just want to love Jesus? Can we just do that right now? Just Can we just lift our hands and lift our hearts one more time and just say, let God know how much we appreciate Him. God, we love you. God, you're awesome. There truly is no one like our God tonight. God, you are holy and you are righteous, God. God, you provide all of our needs, God. You're our perfecter and our provider, God. You're our deliverer. You're our Savior and our Redeemer tonight. And Jesus, we love you. God, we need you. Come on, can we just love him just a little bit? Hallelujah, Jesus. There comes a time in every person's relationship where it becomes not about the gifts that you give each other. It becomes more than the dinners out or the date nights. And at some point you find yourself looking across the table or across the couch and it's just you and them. One on one. Talking about absolutely nothing and everything at the same time. It's at those points that you have to get comfortable with if you're going to have a real relationship. It's very similar with God tonight. At some point, it goes beyond the blessings that He freely gives, which are awesome and innumerable. It goes beyond the the feelings that we get when He moves into a house like this and fills this place with His presence. And at some point, it becomes just between you and Him with nothing and everything. And that's when the relationship starts. That we've got to get comfortable just at any given time to say, God, I love you. God, I need you. God, I want to talk to you. That's the kind of relationship God wants with us tonight. I wonder, again, if we can just lift our hands and lift our hearts and just have that conversation, all of us together, one-on-one with Him, God, and you, whatever you're, you're comfortable doing, just let Him know that, God, I need you tonight. I love you tonight. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. God is good. Amen. I'm looking forward to what God's going to do here tonight. I believe he's got a word for us. I believe he wants to do something great in our lives. I'm just glad I get to be a part of it tonight. In the book of Acts, chapter 10, I'm going to read some very familiar verses of scripture. It's about Peter. He's sitting up. They're actually, he's actually waiting, unbeknownst to him, on a man by the name of Cornelius. And he goes up. As the scripture says, as on the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh into the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray. It was about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. He was praying and he was meditating on God that he actually moved into a trance or into a place of, of deep prayer. If anybody's ever been there, I think you understand what he's, what he's talking about. And in verse 11, it says, And saw heaven opened, and a certain vessel descending unto him. And as it had been a great sheet, it was knit at the four corners, and it let down to the earth. 
And inside of it were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, wild beasts and creeping things and, and fowls of the air, all these different things that really a good Jewish man would not have eaten or killed or even considered to consume. But there are, there's a voice that came to him in verse 13. It said, Rise, Peter, by name. Rise, kill, and eat. Do the thing that you think is not right to do, but do the thing that I'm telling you to do. But in verse 14, he says, but Peter said, no. He said, not so, Lord. He told God, no. He says, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And in 15, it says, the voice spake unto him a second time, what God has cleansed, that call not thou common. In other words, what I've cleaned, don't call unclean. And in verse 16, it says, this was done thrice, and the vessel was received back up into heaven again. So it's implied here that Peter still denied God what God wanted to do. And in fact, in verse 17, which I don't have up there, it begins with, and Peter was filled with his own doubts. He couldn't understand it. He didn't know what was going on. But what he did do was tell God no. And for just a few moments tonight, I want to talk on the subject of telling God no. Pastor, would you pray? Amen. You may be seated. One of the first words we tend to learn as human beings is the word no. We don't like to be told no. I mean, I look at Everly. She's probably the youngest one here tonight. And uh, that little baby is just a precious child. She is, as the doctors have said many times, perfect. And she has been our best baby. Sorry, three kids. You had a good run. But Everly has definitely been our best baby. She sleeps pretty much through the night. She isn't fussy. She doesn't have colic. I mean, she really is a really good baby. But when we try to tell her no, all that changes. That sweet little crazy little girl that has her cheesy grin. She has a cheeser's face that I call. She scrunches up her face and she smiles and she knows it's cute and when she gets whatever she wants that way. But all that changes and she reacts very differently when we say, no, no, no. She likes to go after iPads, iPhones, and remote controls. The three things that she just get her fingers all over and can mess up a lot of things and she just goes right and we go, no, no, no. And then she starts fighting. And she starts grabbing, and she starts crawling, and then she starts screaming, and then she starts crying. And it's like, wait a second, you were my perfect little child, all because I had the audacity to tell her no. That no is a powerful word. That word no is preventative. 
It makes things not happen. It's somebody else making the decision for you. Right? It's imparting their will on your actions. If I ask something of someone else and they tell me no, then I can't do what I wanted to do. I had a desire. I had a will. I had a want. I had something I wanted to get done. And I come up and say, will you do this? And they say no. And then my actions stopped right there. I can't do anything else. It's preventative. It imparts their will because what they wanted to do or not do prevents me from doing what I wanted to do. The funny thing is, is as we get older, it's hard to say no. Because we don't like to be told no. We don't like to say no to more work at our, at our, uh, at our jobs. In fact, at, at my job, I, I'm, I'm the manager, and one of the things when I bring in anybody in is, uh, one of, part of my speech is, I'm generally against overtime. I don't like it. I don't want it. If you're working it, we're going to either pay you for it or comp you for it because I don't want people burned out. I'd rather have people refreshed and, and happy and have that work-life balance. And that's, that's what I like, and that's what, what we strive to. And this past weekend, I actually saw about five or six people on my team logging in on the weekend and sending me emails. We're going to talk about that on Monday, that I don't want that happening. But we have a problem saying no to more work. We have a problem saying no to people who want help, even if we're not able to really afford to give them that help. It's hard to say no. We have a real hard time saying no to our kids, even, they, even though they think that we tell them no all the time. It's really hard. How many would love to spoil your own kids, right? <laughs> the kids raise their hands. <laughs> From my understanding, it's even harder to say no to your grandkids. What my, grand, what my kids get from my parents is completely different than what I ever got from my parents. <laughs> it's hard to say no to your spouse. You love them. You want to please them. You want them to be happy. And sometimes you have to say no or the bank account can't keep up or you have to say no because time can't keep up and it's not easy. It's not because you want to. Sometimes you have to. It's hard to say no. We don't like to say no to our friends. We don't like to say no to our family or to our colleagues. We like to please. We like to do things for others. We like to help. It's really hard to say no. And because of that, we get busy, too busy. We get in debt. We get in trouble because we failed to say no. Yet with all this apprehension and trepidation around this word no, that we don't like to use it and we try to stay away from it, we still use it in the one place it should never be used. And we use it when we talk to God. God, the one who knows all things. The one, God, the one who wants only good things to happen in our lives. God, the one who loves you more than you even love yourself. He asks us to do something, and more often than not, we say no. 
boy, it's hard to say no to work. It's hard to say no to my family, my friends. But man, is it so easy to say no to God. And just like when we say no to someone else, we make a decision for him. He has a will. He has a desire. He has something he wants to do. And the moment he asks us to perform or to do something and we say no, we are effectively taking the decision from him and putting it on us. We are imparting our will on him versus his will on us. We are saying that we want to do what we want to do and not what he wants to do. Think about Peter in our text that we read this morning. He was a disciple who defended Jesus. Peter was the one who, who, who think you would think had learned his lesson when he denied Christ three times and, and came back on the day of Pentecost. Peter was the one who stood up and, 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 and said those famous lines of repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It was Peter that Jesus looked at and gave him the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Peter the one who experienced everything that he had done. And it was Peter who was in prayer being shown this vision directly from God, given a directive from him of take, kill, and eat. And his answer wasn't, sure, God, whatever you say, God, I trust you fully, God. But, but keep in mind, this was the same guy who stepped out on the water. Come on now. Who said, Lord, if it be you, bid me come and started walking on the sea what was troublesome all around. This is the kind of faith this man had. And the moment he saw a vision, not even something real, but a vision come down and Jesus giving him a direct order. He got so bound up by his preconceptions and what he thought was right or wanted to do that instead of saying, sure, God, let your will be done. He looked at him and said, no. No. God, I'm not going to listen to you. God, I'm not going to fall for it. God, I'm not going to follow your direct command to me. Yeah, I listened to you when we walked down on the water. Yeah, God, I listened to you when we divided the little lad's lunch and we went and picked up the, 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 the remnants of 12 baskets from the 5,000. Yeah, I listened to you when we walked through the temple and you were healing people and you were delivering people. I listened to you all that, but now you're asking me to do something. And the answer is... No. No. I know what you're thinking. Preacher, you're telling me I tell God no, and that's just not the case. I love God. I would never do that. I, I, I say yes all the time. What are you talking about? I would never say no to God. My soul says yes to the Lord. But my actions and my mind sometimes says something different. You see, we say no to God all the time. Maybe we don't realize it. Maybe we can't identify it. But we say no all the time. We say no when we choose not to come to church. 
Oh, I'm getting on somebody now. Not you. You all are here. You're good. We say no to God when we say we're not going to come to church. I know live stream is great, and we appreciate you having out there, and it's a wonderful technology, and it's not going away, folks. But it's not a replacement for church. There is a difference. It, there is a difference. You tell me if your loved one is in the hospital suffering, and we just went through this for the last couple of years with COVID, where they would not allow people to come in for that personal visit. In fact, some people in this room knows exactly what I'm talking about. They were in the hospital and weren't allowed visitation. You're telling me if you have somebody in the hospital suffering that a video call is the same as being next to that person in, in, in real life. Anyone? Tell me it's the same. Exactly, Everly. It's not the same. Your soul is being bombarded by the sickness and evil of this world. You're fighting off every disease of sin. You need to have that personal visitation and personal contact. You need to be part of the body of Christ. You, the Bible says, forsake not the assembly of yourselves together. And even more so, as you see that day approaching, we're supposed to be having more church. More together. More assembly. Not less. We say no. When we decide not to come to church, and yes, it's a decision. If you want to be here, you can be here. There's enough people here that will give you a ride. I promise you, you can get here. We say no when we don't do our daily devotions. And I know that word devotions has gotten watered down over the years. And it's just this kind of touchy-feely thing. But it's a very real thing that we should be doing of daily praying, daily reading our Bible, fasting consistently. I'm not going to tell you daily because then you would die. But fasting consistently. Those daily devotions in relationship with God. We say no when we don't listen to the voice of God. And yes, that includes biblical preaching and teaching when it comes across the pulpit in a church that's preaching and teaching the truth. We need to be listening to that and applying it to our lives. We're just dumb men up here, but it's coming through with the word of God, by the spirit of God. I'm not anybody you should listen to, but the time that it comes from the pulpit and through God, it is exactly what you need for this week. We say no when we don't witness. We say no when we aren't living the holy life that God wants us to live. We say no when we're not giving the way that God wants us to give. We say no when we don't do the things that we know we're supposed to do. We say no all the time to God. And when we get out of the spirit and we walk into the flesh, we tend to doubt and fear and deny God what he wants to do in our lives, effectively making a decision for him on what is going to happen in our lives. Simply because we said no. So what happens when we say no? You miss an incredible blessing that God has for your life. See, whatever he's asking you to do may seem difficult. It may even seem impossible to you. But first, we have to understand that with men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. 
I'm sure Moses never dreamed that he would lead an entire nation of Israel out of Egyptian captivity and into freedom by walking across a, a, a river or across the sea on dry ground. I'm sure that never entered into his mind when he was being pulled out of those bulrushes or, or, or being raised in the Egyptian pharaoh's home that said, one day I'm going to leave all this place and conquer the army. That wasn't in his plan. I'm sure, I seriously doubt Jonah had a vision of an entire city of wicked people believing in the message he preached and coming to the faith of God that he served. And I'm convinced that Ananias had no idea that Saul would become a church planner, a biblical author, esteemed theologian, a constant source of wisdom for the church from then until now. Ananias thought he was a murderer. Ananias thought he was good for nothing. In fact, Ananias debated God on whether he should ever go meet this man, Saul, who later became Paul, and said, God, I don't think you know what you're talking about. It never entered into their minds of what God had planned for them. Whatever God is asking you to do, just know, just know that there's an incredible blessing on the other side of it. Not just for you, but for those that God is trying to touch. You have to understand, God's church is interlocked. It's interconnected. It's a family connected, joined together, that when God tells you to do something, it affects Him over there. When God moves over there, He does something over there. I'm telling you, God has a blessing for it. Oh, what peace we often forfeit simply when we tell God no. When you tell God no, you're living in passive disobedience. And some may argue that it's not even passive, it's more active. In fact, I would call it active disobedience. It may sound harsh, but it is true. If I tell my child to do something and they don't do it, that's disobedience. If I tell one of my employees to do something and they don't do it, they call it insubordination. And it's a terminable offense. Usually. Unless I'm telling them to do something unethical and immoral or against our company policies. But that's a different story. It is disobedience. We make the same choice when our father asks us to forgive, love, give, share, speak up, serve, whatever it is that he's calling us to do. When we say no or we just not or just don't do what he says, it is disobeying a direct command. It's, it's like breaking a commandment, folks. James said it this way, him that knoweth to do good and does it not to him, it is sin. That's a big three-letter word that causes a complete total separation from man and God. You mean even the little ones? There is no degree. Sin is sin. If God is telling you to do something, and you don't do it, and you know to do it, it is sin. See, there are things that we are all called to do, but there's also things that God God specifically calls individuals to do. He calls us all to repentance. He calls us all to salvation. He calls us all to holiness. But he calls 
Brother White to pastor. He calls our Sunday school teachers to teach. He calls our musicians to play music and to sing and to use their talents that way. He doesn't call everybody to do that. Those are specific things. When we don't follow what God has called us to do, we are living in complete and total disobedience. And when we we choose not to do what he's asked to do, whenever we choose to ignore him, we're choosing to live in disobedience. And really, that's a life that is most miserable. You cannot be happy living in disobedience. You can't. Because you're living in a place that God didn't design you to live in. He's called you to use the talents that he's given you. He's called you to use the purpose that he's given you. And when I don't do those things, I'm miserable because I'm not fulfilling the life that I'm meant to live. When you choose to say no to God, you also choose a very small faith. Bob Goff wrote this, every fork in the road we come to in our faith doubles the chance that we'll grow. And I fear that too often we choose the path of least resistance instead of more growth, especially in matters of faith. It's easier not to have that difficult conversation. So much easier to avoid it, right? It's easier not to confess the sin in our lives to an all-knowing God, even though he already knows what you're doing. But it's easier not to do it. It's easier not to volunteer or to help out. Come on now. It's easier not to give to the church or to a special event or to the charity that you need to give to. It's, it's, it's so much easier not to do that. It's easier not to step out of your comfort zone and help somebody in the name of Jesus, right? It's easier not to get involved. How many times have we seen an event or a situation or circumstance take place and you just say, you know what? It's best I just don't get involved. It's going to take too much of my time, too much of my resources. It's just better I don't get involved. Yeah, that's a lot easier. No doubt about it. But is that what God asking you to do? So we perpetually choose the easier way, that path of least least resistance, but that requires so little faith. When you look throughout the scriptures of the men of great faith, that that list of heroes of faith in, in the book of Hebrews, they didn't choose the path of least resistance. They made bold moves and stepped out on the spirit and the word of God and allowed God to show forth his power, his grace, his mercy. If you ever wonder why your faith is weak, ask yourself, when was the last time you took a risk that required God's help to make it up? When was the last time you prayed and depended on God for anything that there was no plan B? That it only could come from God. You see, your faith is a direct result of your prayer and your decisions to do the things that depend on God's help to provide everything you need. 
We need to take a cue from our friends that came before us like Moses and Jonah and Ananias. There's a lot at stake. You could, you could say no to God. God allows you to do that. That's one of the great things about God. He doesn't force us to do a thing. His mission and his will will be fulfilled. The question is, will it be done through you? It'll still happen. He allows you to say no. Will you say no? Or would you say yes? Would you say yes and you could enter a story like no other, a story that could only be explained because God arrived on the scene. He acted. He moved. And you got to be a part of a story that's greater than you could ever write yourself. Brother Mark, would you mute piano mic one? There's some feedback up here. We need to say yes to God. See, I know you all know this. You knew where I was going. But we need to stop saying no and start saying yes to God. We need to stop resisting what God is trying to do in our lives and start accepting what he wants to do. We need to not quench that Holy Spirit and start allowing it to actively lead, guide, and direct us. That's why he gave us this Holy Ghost. It wasn't something that's a checkbox that we say, yep, I got it. The collecting cards, yep, I got that Pokemon, I got that baseball card, I got it, yep, it's mine. That's not what the Holy Ghost was about. The Holy Ghost is a living thing inside of you. God is alive. He actively leads, guides, directs into all truth and righteousness. He talks to you. He gets you pointing in the right direction. He, he tells you what you need to do when you allow that to work through us. Think about Samuel. A little background on Samuel in the Old Testament. Yes, sometimes we do go back to the Old Testament and talk about it a little bit. His mother, Hannah, uh, was barren for several years. We know the story. And, and, and one day while she was praying and weeping in the temple, she begged God for a child. And she made a vow that if God gave her a son, she would give that child back to the Lord to serve him all the days of his life. God answered the prayer. God said yes to to Hannah and gave her Samuel. And faithful Hannah fulfilled her promise by bringing Samuel to the temple when he was just a young boy so that he could live there and grow and learn with the uh, elderly priest, Eli, in the temple and serve him as he grew, grew both in favor and in stature. The story in, in, in these first few chapters of 1 Samuel is a scene that's, that's typical and really easy to picture that Samuel was a young man living in the temple with Eli, serving Eli, helping him out with whatever needs he needed to, to, to serve in the temple, getting the robes or getting the, 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 the uh, showbread or, or polishing the artifacts or whatever it, whatever it was, sweeping the floors. Things we still need done in the church today, folks. <laughs> oh, I hit something there. Serving God by, by serving his tabernacle. He was a very young man and he was, he was uh, sleeping uh, one night and he heard a voice saying, Samuel, Samuel, arise. And he runs into Eli and he says, Eli, what is it? What do you need? And he said, I, I don't need anything right now. I'm, I'm good. He's like, oh, uh, I thought you called me. Like, nope. 
this is paraphrasing. This isn't King James, all right? So he goes back and lays back down. Happens again. Eli, what did you need? Yep. Samuel, you got to, I know you've been cleaning the floors. Maybe you got some dust in there. You might clean those ears out a little bit. Not me. Third time happens again. Samuel arrives. He runs back to Eli. Eli, it's getting kind of old here, guy. I don't know what kind of prank you're pulling. You know, I've been here for a lot of years now. Eli, you're pretty old. You're not that funny. Prank's not that, you know, we're done. What do you want? And Eli looked at him and said, you know what? He says, I'm discerning something that this is continually happening. It's not me calling you, but God is calling you. He says, Samuel, next time you hear it, aren't you always glad there's a next time? Aren't you always glad there's a next time? He says, next time you hear it, he says, don't come running to me. You say, God, what is it that you want? He went back, he laid back down, and God spoke to him again. Samuel, Samuel, arise. And that fourth time, Samuel responds. He doesn't run to Eli. He doesn't run down the hall. But he simply responds, speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. Speak, Lord. I want to do what you want me to do. Samuel said yes to God. See, to say yes to God, Samuel first had to be, had to say yes to the man of God. He respected the preacher. He respected the priest. He was Samuel. He said, I first had to say yes to him. Then I was able to hear God. Not only that, Samuel was in the house of God. He was in the right place. He made himself available to God. He was available to the work of God. He wasn't the guy with the microphone. He wasn't the guy in the fancy dresses. He was the guy with the broom in the back. He was the grunt work. He made himself available for the work of God. So when God spoke, he was available and able to say yes. You cannot expect to hear God and say yes to him unless you're in his house and about his business. It won't happen. That's why it's so important to be in the house of God, hearing the preacher, hearing the teacher, hearing what God is talking about and talking to us each and every week. We have got to be around God to be able to even speak to him to say yes. See, we need to stop saying no. We can can say yes and we can stop saying no to God when we start saying no to ourselves. You see, Samuel was laying there, and the moment he denied himself, he was able to get a word from God. See, Matthew says it this way, no man can serve two masters who either hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. If I'm having a conversation with God, and he's telling me to do something, and I tell him no, Who am I serving? Who's serving who? If he's telling me to do something, I say no. Guess who's in control? Me. I just took control. Who am I serving? Me. 
I can't serve two masters. I can only serve one. The only time I can start saying yes to God is when I start saying no to me. I got to deny myself. Jesus said it this way in the book of Luke. He said it to them all. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. I must decrease so he can increase. I have to humble myself, not the other way around. We think we're so big and so powerful because God allows us to have control of that conversation. He allows us to say no. But the moment we say, you know what, God, I don't want that. I want to give it back to you. It's not my will. But you're well. Think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was sitting there praying. And the Bible says it was as blood dripping from his brow because he was praying so hard the sweat was coming down. And he said, God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be crucified. I don't think anybody would sign up for that, would you? He says, I don't want to be crucified. I don't want to be beat. I don't want the crown of thorns. I don't want to be humiliated. I don't want to be beaten and bruised. But... My will, but thine. It's not about me, church. It's not about I. It's about him. If I'm ever going to say yes to him, I have to say no to me. I've got to live right. I've got to live holy. I've got to live sanctified. I've got to live pleasing to God. How do I say yes? I have to yield and be prepared to meet God on his terms, not on mine. Samuel was in the temple learning, serving, growing. He was in the right place to hear uh, from and respond to God when he was called. What are we doing to prepare ourselves for for when God calls us? What am I doing with my life? What am I doing with my time? Am I here when the church doors are open? Am I making myself available for the work of God? And not just the blessings of God? Or we love being available for the blessings. But am I making myself available for the work? Am I participating in the church or am I just spectating church services? doing i have to meet god on his terms my son plays soccer and he doesn't get better by sitting at home and watching tv and playing xbox but he spends hours and hours each week lifting weights practicing on the field learning plays playing with his teammates why so that they can get better and know what they each other are doing before they even know what's going on they spend time and they spend hours and they they work together to make sure they're ready for the competition. They're ready for the contest. They're ready for the battle. We cannot expect to be ready for what God has called us to do if we're not in his arena, if we're not doing the work, if we're not putting the time in and learning the playbook before the contest comes. We have to yield. 
We have to expect and be listening for God's voice. Yes, Samuel was sleeping and in bed. It was dark and quiet. But in that place, his ears were wide open. His heart was wide open. His mind was ready to receive at any point that God wanted to talk to him. And when he heard his name, he responded immediately. Immediately. Why? Because there was no noise. There was no distraction. Even though he was asleep and quote unquote dead to the world. Think about that. He was available to God. You and I need to get the noise and the distraction of our lives and become, get it, dead to the world. We need to be dead to this world. So that when God calls, we're ready and we're listening and we're able to respond immediately to what God is speaking to our lives. Do we even expect to hear God's voice if we're filling our lives with so much mindless activity that we can't understand or hear what's going on? How many times have you walked into your mother and she's frustrated your dad and he's working on something and they just yell out, stop it, we all be quiet, I can't hear myself think. Ever felt like that? Daily? How do we expect to hear God's voice if we can't even hear our own selves think? Are we getting too busy or so busy with work or so busy with the work of the Lord even that we forget the Lord of the work? Are we getting so focused on what we want to do, my plans, my future, my wants, my desires, that we miss what God is trying to tell us? We, are we ignoring God's still small voice? We cannot say yes to God if we never hear him ask for anything. We've got to make room in our lives to hear the voice of God. We have to surrender and be open to what God has to say. What God told Samuel to do was not an easy thing. Eli was a mentor to him. He was a, Eli was a, 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 a pillar in his life. He lived with him. He was the high priest, the guy he was learning from. What God told him to do was go tell Eli that him and his family are going to be destroyed because Eli allowed his sons to do some things that they should never have done. Eli didn't do anything wrong, technically. He just didn't stop the wrong that was happening. Think about it. The first thing that God told Samuel to do was prophesy to your mentor that he's going down. Uh, God? I think I'm going to give you a no on that one. But that's not what happened. He surrendered to God. Samuel was obedient. He said yes, even before he knew what God wanted him to do. He says, God, whatever it is, I'll do it. Why? Because I trust you. I trust you. God, I know that you have my best interest at heart. God, I know you're not going to have me do anything that's going to hurt me or somebody else. God, I, I, I just trust you. There are times that Brother White says this, and sometimes I, I, I cringe a little bit. 
I'll play a joke on him, and I'll, I'll ask him for something or do something, and he just says, okay. I'm like, guy, I was kidding. Like, why would you ever let me do that? Like, can I wreck your car? All right. What are you doing? He's like, I just trust you. I'm like, well, you probably shouldn't. All right. At least not that much. But when it comes to God, we can implicitly trust. I know that's a hard concept because we're humans and we are not altogether trustworthy folks as a group. But God is trustworthy. He is faithful. You can implicitly trust him with anything. Our, uh, see, so many times our yes in our lives is dependent on what is being asked of us. But when it comes to God, our yes should be automatic because I trust him. I have faith in him. I know that he wants to do good things in our lives. Our yes is, should be the first thing. It should be a complete, total, unconditional surrender to his will. When we say yes to God, so many great things start to happen. And looking at Samuel and all the others listed from the Bible, we can conclude three things about saying yes to God. It may be difficult. It may be unpopular. It may be uncomfortable. But it will be life-changing. When you make up your mind that no matter what God says, no matter what God asks me to do, if I just trust him and move out in faith and say yes it is just the beginning of a story that God is writing, and I'm not. That I get just to be a part of something great that God is about to do. Noah said yes, and God asked him to build an ark, and God preserved him. Abraham said yes, and God asked him to sacrifice his one and only son, and God provided for him. Joseph said yes, and God asked him to forgive his brothers who beat and sold him to slavery, but God delivered them. Moses said yes when God asked him to go to Pharaoh and ask him to let the Israelites go, but God made them victorious. Rahab said yes when asked to hide the Israelite spies, and God protected her. David said yes when God asked him to go fight a giant Goliath with only a slingshot and a few stones, but God gave him the strength and gave him the victory. Esther said yes when Mordecai told her to go to the king to save her people, and God elevated her. Daniel said yes when God said, don't bow down and don't worship other idols. And he became a, 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 a high, a, a, God brought him through the lion's den. Mary said yes when the angel told her that she would carry God's own son, Jesus. And God honored her. The disciples said yes when Jesus asked them to leave everything behind and follow him. And God blessed them. Paul said yes when God asked him to deliver the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles. And God anointed him. We can't not outgive God. We cannot write the story ourselves. Only God can. And He can only do it when we say yes. Can we stand tonight? I may not say yes as often as I should to God, but my heart definitely longs to do so. I want to be faithful. I want to be obedient. I want to say that I'm all in whatever God wants to do no matter what. But I will be honest and say that sometimes my brain and my mind get, in, get, 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 get involved and cause me to go off track. 
and I hesitate, I doubt, I question. I say, maybe I have a better plan. But when you think about it, it's one of two things. Either I'm that arrogant or I'm that stupid. Could be both. What makes me think that I could ever know more than God? He's God. Who else am I going to trust? Who else is going to tell me what I need to do and I can just say, okay, that's what I need to do. Now we have soldiers that are in the military and one of the things you always hear is they were just following orders. Implicitly and without question, they are trained to whatever commanding officer says, they do. Automatically. Good or bad, they follow through. It's trained into them. We have a Heavenly Father who only wants good things for us. We have a God who says you are the apple of His eye. That you are a special person, a holy priesthood. That that while we were yet sinners, that while we were despicable, while we were horrible, while we hated Him, that He loved us. That He died for us. How much more that when he says, hey, Mike, go do this, should I just say, okay, yes, sir, without question, implicit trust, how dare I ever say no? I don't know what God is telling you to do right now, but I will say it's time to stop denying God and start denying yourself. All those questions that are coming up. But what if, but what if, but what if? My daughter has gotten into this a little bit. She's got a loose tooth and every day is, what if my tooth falls out here? What if I don't have that? What if this is it? It's like, yeah, but what if it doesn't? We get all these what ifs. What ifs, what ifs, what if I'm worried, I'm scared, I'm afraid. I'm a, what, what if? What if I just listened to God and just did what he said? How much better will my life be? I need to stop denying God and start denying myself. It's time we stop telling God, no. It's not my will. It's your will. It's not me. It's you. God, just tell me what you want me to do. I wonder if we can find a place right now. Somewhere in this house. Find a place to talk to your God. As I said at the beginning of this service, he's a personal God. He wants to talk to him. We've got to get comfortable just talking to him and say, God, what do you want? Tell me what you need me to do. See, God's telling some of you right now to walk towards the altar. What are you going to tell him? Yes? No? Some of you, he's telling you to rededicate your life to him. Some of you, he's telling you to give. He's telling some of you to read your Bible. He's telling some of you to witness. But most of all, he's telling you, talk to me. See if you hear my voice. God, 
we need you tonight. Will you come? Will you talk to him tonight? Will you let him talk to you tonight?